Scarantino, and this is the Get the Fuck Off podcast. Every week, I'm going to be talking about a new topic to help you guys get the fuck off the shit that doesn't serve you anymore. But first, let me tell you a little bit about me. I used to work as a bartender, and I lived in the New York City bar scene. I smoked between a pack or two a day, and I was what you'd call quite overweight. I learned that the secret to adopting a healthy lifestyle is a series of mindset shifts. Unfortunately, they don't always come with an owner's manual, so I decided to start this podcast to give you guys the nuts and bolts without you having to do all the research on your own. Getting healthy does not mean you have to sacrifice your outstanding personality, and it actually can be quite a fun journey. I'm really excited to have you guys on that journey with me. Let's get off together. Okay, everybody, welcome back to the Get the Fuck Off podcast. I am here with Kate Hess. She is of Nourish Nest Breathe. Is that correct? That's the name of your... It is, yes. Amazing. And she is a mental and emotional hygiene coach. Uh, started as a... Yo- as You started with yoga a little while back, right? In the beginning. Yeah. yeah. And now, now, Kate, if I understand correctly, you have become quite the expert in self-care and you have been focusing a lot of that, um, a lot of the work that you do with your clients on self-care. And I know we started talking about that when we connected and I would love for you to just tell everybody what you do and, um, and, and how this all developed and everything like that. And then, yeah, we'll just jump into it. Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, I'll start, I'll start with how I got into this, um, which was about, I'd say it's been about a decade now, um, since I really started this journey, Um, And I was a people-pleasing perfectionist. Uh, And I I know a few of those. (laughs) And I have traditionally worked in nonprofit organizations, which um, was great. I was doing amazing work, but it really fed into that need to be a perfectionist and to give more and more and more of myself because Mm -hmm. I was working for such a great cause and we were making a difference in the community or the world. And so I wanted to just give everything I had. Um, And so what happened was I would get more and more and more burnt out uh, because I wasn't taking care of myself. I wasn't recharging. I didn't have healthy boundaries. Everything I had was just going into my work, my friendships, my relationships, and none of it was being saved for myself. Uh, and so I found myself one day, um, and this was you know, a few years later, I found myself curled up under my desk at work crying. And it was something I would do every afternoon. I would climb under my desk and I would curl up into a little ball and I would cry because I was so stressed out and I was so overwhelmed and I was putting so much pressure on myself to be and do everything for everyone. And I just couldn't do it. So, you know, I was under there and one day it just clicked. This wasn't sustainable. I couldn't keep doing this. I couldn't keep going this way. Something had to change. And this, unfortunately, was a pattern that I had repeated over and over and over again. And in that moment, I realized that it wasn't the job, it wasn't the people, 
it wasn't what was happening around me that was the problem. I was the problem. <laughs> that changing the job, moving to another state, being in a different relationship, none of that would change the situation. I had to change. Absolutely. I mean, I think that that's such a profound awareness that you had in that moment, because I was just in a group of people recently when we were learning about positive intelligence and different saboteurs that people create when they're children to get through their lives, you know, to, to be able to survive childhood and being a people pleaser. And as you mentioned, a perfectionist, which has been kind of like what they would call a stickler in this particular course that I was taking. Um, those are just two things that you develop early. And yeah. then you don't realize, and I think, and I'm not just saying you, because you've obviously realized and come to the, the, the awareness, but a lot of people don't realize that that is not, that's not something that has to be like, that is a creation. And the lie is that you have to do it. It's what's expected, but it's, it's really not, it's just something that you've done for so long for probably 30, 40 years that, yeah. that you don't realize that, oh, I can actually modify this. Anyway, I didn't mean to cut you off. I just, I think yeah. that that awareness is profound. And the image, I know that you had, you know, cause you had, you had told me a little bit about that and I didn't want to, I didn't want to deliver that story. I thought it would sound better coming from you, but I, that is not the only time I've heard a story like that. And mm -hmm. that is like the, the burnout story, right? Like that's what people fuck it. Like that's the imagery that comes from burnout. I mean, I had a client that talked about burnout, like in such a, in a way that's almost like every nerve on your body is just standing up on end and you're in such a state of survival, cortisol pumping high beta shit that yeah. it's almost like, you. where do I budge? Yeah. But I mean, it's, it's, it's a, the work you're doing is great. I mean, this is, this is common, especially for women, but I would love for you to go on. I know that you work with women. I know you're going to talk about that more. Yeah. Um, I want to hear more. Yeah. So, uh, so having had that realization, I had to figure out how to get from that burnout back to balance. Mm -hmm. And I had to do it without just, you know, quitting my job and starting this whole process all over again somewhere else. Um, so I started, um, I got back onto a yoga mat. I hadn't been to yoga in probably two decades at that point. And I got back onto my yoga mat and all of a sudden this sort of awareness reached me that it, there is a way, there is a path you can find balance. Yeah. And it took me many years of trial and error. I, you know, I like to say that I was my own science experiment. I tried these things out. Did it work for me? Did it not work for me? How could I modify these techniques so that it would work for me? Um, and, you know, I kept finding things that did work and building on those. And so what I really boiled it down to is uh, three components, which is what I call mental and emotional hygiene. And that is getting really clear on your unique priorities and values. Okay. Um, and that is, um, that is differentiating what's important to you from what you believe other people believe is important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah getting healthy boundaries. So those are not just with the world around you, but also with yourself. So you're able to say, this is, this is my boundary here. This is my boundary there. This is where I'm holding something for myself. This is where I'm able to share with others. Um, and then the final component is sustainable, sufficient self-care. Um, and that's a daily practice because self-care is how we refill our reserves. 
we each start the day with a limited amount of mental, emotional, and physical energy. And the way we get more of that, the way we refill that is through self-care. Um, there isn't really another way to do that. It is the self-care process. And that means getting, you know, quality and quantity sleep. That means eating healthy food that nourishes your body. That means doing things that refill your mental and emotional reserves. Um, and so that self-care component is, you can tell I'm getting excited. That self-care component I think is so important because it can make such a difference and it doesn't take as much time and energy as we frequently think it does. I mean, I'm with you. I don't, I mean, this is something that I wanted to ask. So let's say that uh, somebody comes to you that's like so burnt out, like in that, fa- that, that place that you were in. I find, and I don't know if this is your experience, but I find that the resistance to self-care is the highest when people are at that place. And yeah. what are your, your strategies to be able to explain self-care to those people so that they can start transitioning to a place where they can incorporate that into their lives? Yeah. So there's two pieces. I kind of approach it from two different um, fronts. The first is the actual physiology behind self-care. So self-care is shifting yourself from the sympathetic nervous system state, which is our fight, flight, or freeze, uh, which so many of us exist in constantly. Mm-hmm. So the, you know, that burnout, that chronic stress, that overwhelm, you are living in sympathetic nervous system. And that is not healthy. That's not how our bodies evolve. That's not how our bodies work. Um, that, you know, it's an inordinate amount of stress to stay in that state. I just want to yell, you're going to get cancer. <laughs> you know, gonna- the one, the thing that I find that when I talk about this, that really Um, is the aha is that when you're in sympathetic nervous system, your body moves all of your energy to your extremities. It's preparing you to run for your life, to fight for your life, to really use your arms and your legs to be in that state of survival. But in order to do that, it starts shutting down less essential functions. And those are things like your digestive system, your reproductive system. Mm -hmm. So if you feel like your lunch is sitting like a brick in your stomach, by the time you get to dinner, it's probably because it is, it's because Mm -hmm. you have, you have put all of your energy into your extremities and your digestive system isn't working. So, you know, simply doing self-care you know, one of the benefits I noticed is my weight stabilized instead of having that, imagine that (laughs) and it's like, okay, so these are all these things that you don't even think about. These are just, you know, the side benefits that you discover. And so once you get into self-care, we're shifting from that sympathetic nervous system into the parasympathetic. And that's your rest and digest. It's when your body is calm, when it's relaxed, when it's recharging. Um, And so that's, I think, frequently explaining that scientific piece behind it helps people to understand that this isn't just that fluffy, optional, um, it's fine, I'll do it when I have extra time sort of thing that we frequently think of self-care as. Right. 
We don't uh, really talk about this when, when we're educating students. For, and you're going to have, I'm, you're going to, I'm going to give you lots of time to talk about self-care because I have your self-care toolkit, which everybody that's listening can download at, I'm going to give your website later and everything. Yeah. It's nourishnessbreathe.com, right? Yes. Nourishnessbreathe.com. I thought so, but I'm going to put it here in case everybody wants to go and jump on and get it right now. Um, but the, the idea that we don't actually talk about this to people like, especially here in Western society in America, we don't talk to kids about this when they're in school. So they don't learn this from young. They don't learn that this is actually a scientific function of the body. So we take physical education, but we don't realize that, oh, if you're living in a state of, of stress and survival, your brain and your body don't know the difference between you being sitting here, being stressed about your boss or you being chased by a lion. Like it doesn't know the damn difference. And if you don't go and run and run from the lion, you're just going to sit there in that stress. Yeah. And yes, the idea of your lunch still sitting there, that's real. And then people are like, why am I so fat? I don't know. <laughs> Maybe you're not digesting your food properly. Yeah. Yeah. But, because you're in such a state of stress that your body is just, it, it, it can't digest. It can't function normally. It's not right. processing, you know, the same thing for women who find that their menstrual cycles are all over the board. Similarly, it's because your reproductive system is an optional system to keep running at peak capacity when you're in that chronic state of stress. Mm-hmm. So tell me more about the self-care. Let's go back to it because yeah. I, you were, you were guns a blazing and I took us off track. So. A, the other thing that when I have a client who first comes to me in that really heightened state of burnout, the other thing that I get them started with immediately is the audible exhale. And I want to, do we have a few minutes to do that together? We do. Let's do it. Okay. So okay. If you're comfortable going ahead and closing your eyes, if you're somewhere where that's safe, do that. You can do this with open eyes, but go ahead, get comfortable. And we're gonna take an inhale through the nose and we're gonna exhale through the mouth. And when we exhale through the mouth, it's going to be a, you're gonna, it's going to be a, oh, that feels so nice. Not a, oh, I don't think I can stand this one more minute. So go ahead. Get really comfortable, breathe in through the nose, feel the belly expand, feel the breath move up into the rib cage and then open your mouth and and let's do that twice more. Inhaling and One more. Tell you what, that is that is nice. That yeah. is such calmness. Yeah. And then if you have your eyes closed, go ahead and open them. But but that simple mm. three breaths shifts you right from sympathetic to parasympathetic. And the importance of having the exhale be longer than the inhale. And it's just nice. Yeah. It's amazing. And if anybody that followed along with that, that is really great. I will have to now try to amp my energy back up because I'm actually, because it is, it's really, really nice. And just those little things, those little things, those little systems that are always taking place, like breathing that we don't 
focus on or try or, or command to be a certain way can really shift us. And that's, that's so important. So I'm so glad. Thank you. I, for, for walking us through that. That was great. That was really, really great. And that's, you know, would that take us 60 seconds maybe? Yeah. And so, you know, when I, I say that this is a great tool, um, when you're feeling stressed and anxious and frustrated or angry, if you are in one of those heightened emotional states, uh, it's a great tool to use to just shift yourself back into a state of calm, but even better. And especially if you're feeling burnt out, set an alarm on your phone every hour, every hour, when it goes off, pause, whatever you're doing, take three audible exhales. Boom. It'll keep you shifting back into that rest and digest all throughout the day and help you to refill, recharge, keep out of that some constant chronic stress. And people, people there, we have neural pathways that reinforce all of this stuff and people, you know, it, the alarm is a really great tool because when you set the alarm, it'll get you into a habit and it takes about it takes about six weeks to reinforce new neural pathways for people, you know, in habit formation. So it's very useful. And I find, and I have set alarms for things like that in the past, in my own life, I'm grabbing my phone, like, like people can see it. Um, And then just for that, just for that. and, And while people may think, oh, this is really dumb. It's, it's just science and no one is looking at you. And if you can just do that, that's, that's really awesome. And if you, you know, if you feel really self-conscious doing it, you can do it with your eyes open, just get a gentle gaze. You can even do it with a silent exhale, do the exhale through your mouth, but don't make the noise. You know, if you work in a cubicle and you don't want everyone popping their heads over the (laughs) the wall every hour to see what's going on, um, you can do it. The, The key is to really consciously breathe slowly in and out with bring your attention and your focus to the breath. And the reason that works so well is because when you're in that fight, flight, or freeze, when you're stressed out and anxious, think about your breath. It gets shallow. It gets high up in your chest. Mm -hmm. Uh, You're breathing short, almost panting breaths. And when you're relaxed, think about when you're getting ready to fall asleep at night. Um, those are deep, slow, calm breaths. So you're actually telling your body it's safe to be in rest and digest. We do not need Mm -hmm. to be in a sympathetic nervous system state right now. Amazing. Amazing stuff. So we were just moving on a little bit. So we were talking about self-care when we talked earlier. Um, So everybody listening, I met with Kate uh, before we recorded the podcast and you were telling me about the difference between self-care and self-work and distraction. And I know you wanted to talk about that because people sometimes are confused about what self-care actually is compared to the other two. So I would love it if you would, if you would talk to the listeners about that. Yeah, absolutely. So this is something I noticed Um, There's a lot of confusion about, and especially if you feel like self-care is a chore, or if you feel like you're doing self-care, but it's not helping, you still feel as tired or overwhelmed afterwards um, as you did before, the chances are very good that you're not actually doing self-care. So here's the difference between the three. Um, Self-care is nourishment. It's how we refill our energy reserves. And I like to describe it as feeling like a warm, loving hug from your favorite person. It just has that like 
oh, I am being held, I am being loved, I am being supported, I am being nourished, that feeling. Self-work is also really important. It's how we learn and grow, but it drains our energy reserves. It doesn't fill them. And so that's anything that is, um, that is a challenge. And I'll give an example in a minute of the three. Um, and distraction is something that pulls you out of your every day. It, try, it, it pulls you out of your life, out of your mind, out of your experiences and into another world or another, another person's life and experiences and distracts you from what's happening. And distraction isn't good or bad. I frequently refer to it as energy neutral, um, but it's not going to recharge you. So if you're engaging in distraction activities, don't be surprised if you don't feel more energized afterwards. Mm. Um, and so I love to use an example of a walk in the park to differentiate between the three, because many times the differentiation just comes down to really subtle differences or mindset shifts. So um, if you go out for a walk in the park and you are walking you know, with awareness of the birds singing and the breeze blowing through the trees, you're smelling the crisp autumn air. Uh, you're just really kind of observing the park with all of your senses as you walk. You don't have any goal in mind except to really be present and to experience this, this beautiful nature, that self-care. If you go into the park and you have a half hour for your lunch break and you need to get 4,000 steps in. And so you just are cruising through the park and you're not noticing anything that's happening around you. And your sole goal is to get this fitness activity in that self-work. And then if you go into the park and you pop in your earbuds and you throw on, you know, cereal or another podcast that, you know, is telling you a story that's pulling you into another world. This is the podcast you like, I take it. Uh, it's, a podcast that, <laughs> it's actually a podcast that frequently gets referred to as, you know. It, I, I, was just, I just had to say something. I'm sorry, please continue. I just thought I, want, I was like, I, that sounds. Well, no, it's a good point because I want to differentiate between um, a podcast like your podcast, which would be self-work because you're learning and growing by listening and a podcast, which is purely entertainment. Mm -hmm. So pulling in, you know, putting in the earbuds and listening to an entertainment podcast. Um, okay. the, the purpose is not for you to learn, to grow, to expand. Um, and then you go for a walk in the park and you, you know, you're focused on what you're hearing, what you're listening to. That's going to be distraction. Right. Um, so those are the, the kind of the three different ones. And then the other important piece that I want to note um, is that introverts recharge better alone. So their self-care activities are mostly going to be solo. Extroverts recharge better with others. And so their self-care activities are often going to be group activities. So their walk in the park might be with a close friend or family member or somebody they really enjoy spending time with. Right. Um, I am, I'm a serious, I've always been an introvert. Um, I seem like I'm an extrovert. I appear as an extrovert. Um, I find that this is, and this might just be my perception because a lot of people I know are introverts, but I find that New York City, for the 9 million of us that are here, it's, it's, a very, it's a very introverted city. I mean, you have to be kind of introverted to live around 9 million other people because nobody actually, we're not, we're not very, we're, we're very independent, you know, we're all of these things. And I, I do. I have noticed that I need that time to be by myself. Yeah. And, um, and I, 
everybody that listens pretty much knows I'm a runner. If you don't know, I'm a runner. <laughs> I talk about it a lot, but I run by myself. I find it um, very draining to run with somebody else. They're trying to make small talk. I, I can't have that. Like I can't, this is my, my time. And I'm not a listen to music, listen to podcasts, listen to any, anything while I'm running. Running is a very, is a solitary exercise for me to take care of myself. I did it this morning, mm-hmm. um, left the phone at home. Cause it was, it was doing its own thing. <laughs> and I did that. And it, some people like to run with a group and that's how they, and they, it's very fulfilling for them to do that. And I think knowing yourself is really important. And for someone to tell you like, this is how it should be. That's a load of shit. Like, you know, yourself, you've been with you now for quite some time, you know, how do people, you look like you had something else to say on that. So no, I was just going to add in that. Yeah. That self-care has to be totally customized to you that you know, we see so many of these, here's my self-care routine, do this to feel better in the morning. Here's, you know, here's a checklist of 15 self-care activities. And some of those might work for you and some of them might not. So Mm -hmm. you really have to figure out what works for you and not just assume that because it worked for somebody else, it will also work for you. And giving yourself grace about it. Like if you try out like a meditation technique that doesn't particularly suit you and you hate it, then you hate it. It's fine. Like it's okay to hate it. I mean, do you hate it because you're resisting it or do you just hate it? Because if I genuinely hate something, I'm not. I'll give it a good couple of goes. And then after that, I'm like, no, this is not, this is not the thing. Um, what about like, so your clients that come to you, um, tell me about them. Who are they? What are the main things that are really, are they like you? Are they working in similar jobs? I mean, what are the main things that are, that are affecting them and their main resistance to self-care and what are the shifts that you see happening? Like when, when they kind of are going through their process. Yeah. So, um, jobs are kind of all across the board. Um, but they are primarily women or they're exclusively women. Um, they are very much those perfectionist people, pleaser, um, women who just, um, have a lot of trouble putting themselves first. Mm. Um, and that's, that is really the theme that I noticed running through, uh, the people that, that come to me is that they, feel like it is their responsibility to take care of everybody else in their lives before they take time to take care of themselves. And that is in every aspect. So that is, um, they need to make sure that their, you know, their family, their friends, their job has the time and energy it needs. Their children get the financial resources before they spend money on themselves. Mm. Uh, It's, it's everything. It, you know, if you think about, um, the mom who, puts dinner on everybody's plates and then is, you know, kind of eating out of the pot in the kitchen because that's what was left after she served everyone else. That's, you know, that's the mentality of I can survive with the scraps. <laughs> I have to take care of everybody else. It's my job right. and my responsibility. I was thinking about this because I had a client that, that struggled with burnout and this was not, um, this, this was a running client. This wasn't a, uh, this is when I was just coaching runners before I started doing the coaching that I do now. And I had asked, I had asked her this, I had asked her this question and we never really came up with an answer, but I have a theory about it because I am not somebody that experiences burnout, but I also don't emulate my mother. Um, I strictly do not. 
Like I, if I were to emulate my mother, I think I'd be dead. <laughs> like the, the woman has slept three hours a night since I was a child and I'm 36 years old. Um, and that's just how she is. And I think what I see a lot of, and maybe, and I would love your opinions on this is not just that. So I studied sociology in grad school and there was this concept of women and the second shift, meaning they would work their job and then they would come home and there would be a second shift. Mm -hmm. And I find that even that does still exist. And that is still a big thing with women, but also, also that even women like me that don't have children, I might've mentioned this on another podcast, but I'm mentioning it again, in case this is the first time people are listening, even women like me that don't have children watched their mothers doing that. And they watch their mothers in constant, perpetual overwhelm. And how much of of what we see in childhood do you think affects how we how we show up as adults and and what we think the expectation is? Yeah. Oh, I think it absolutely does. I think it absolutely does. You know, um, I also don't have children, but I, you know, I would caretake friends. I would caretake other people. I worked in nonprofit organizations because I would then caretake the community. I found those ways to caretake because I had, um, I had absorbed the belief that it was my responsibility as a woman uh, to caretake. And although my mother, you know, I am the child of hippies, uh, ex-hippies, I suppose. Um, and That's although, great. My, yeah, although my mother worked very hard to make sure that we felt, you know, empowered and, and we could do anything we wanted and all that, I think that there were certain things that she still not even consciously, you know, carried out because they were things she had seen or absorbed or had adopted from society. And there were things that I adopted from, magazines and books and television and just the general culture around me watching how other families interacted. So in many ways, I think I had the advantage of in childhood having a little bit of a different perspective um, than many people have growing up in a traditional, more traditional family situation. Um, But I think that what we what we see, what we absorb, especially as young children, when we're so impressionable and we're shaping how we view the world, it really does impact us, you know, until we're ready to say, I'm ready to question that belief. I'm ready to question that story I've told myself for many years. Let's talk about boundaries. Yeah. I know boundaries are a big thing. I've talked with other people about boundaries, but when you're talking about people pleasers, that is a big one. And I would love, I would love for you to talk about some strategies for establishing healthy boundaries um, and maybe even strategies for, I am, I, I highly embrace healthy conflict. I am somebody that will state exactly how I'm feeling. I will say my needs. I will, I will just, let's get it out of the way. We're good. Not everybody has an easy time. especially when we are in that pleasing, I want to make everyone happy. I want to make everyone feel well and everyone feel good. And that's just, you know, that's not always a possibility. What are your, some things, some strategies that you have from establishing boundaries and also communicating needs? Yeah, great. So uh, the first thing about establishing boundaries is healthy boundaries are a muscle. And just like 
any other muscle, you need to exercise it to build it. And so when I'm working with somebody who struggles with boundaries, encourage them to start small and build those boundary muscles and then tackle some of the tougher boundaries in their life. That's great. Um, Yeah. So some really great ways to start building your boundary muscle. Um, Decluttering is actually a really great way to start building your boundary muscle because what you're saying is, I do or do not have room in my life for this thing. I've chosen that this clock that I hate that my mother-in-law gave me does not need to live in my life. I am choosing to create a boundary and I'm moving it out of my house. (laughs) I love that. Yeah. So that's, that's a relatively easy way to ease yourself into boundaries because you don't have to deal with other people. You don't have to deal with, you know, any conflict. You're simply saying, I've chosen that this doesn't have a place in my life anymore. And you start building that boundary and you start flexing it. And then, you know, maybe your next step is that you tell the PTA that you're not bringing brownies this week. (laughs) You know, what is an easy no? What is something that is taking up time that feels like an incredible burden and that you won't be terribly crushed (laughs) if the other person is a little annoyed with you? Um, So where are those easy boundaries that you can start? And then you work up from there. That's really important. That's amazing because the the brownie situation, this kind of reminded me of a situation I was talking about yesterday with somebody. Um, The brownie situation, is it going to take you that long to make the brownies? Not really, but you don't really want to do it. You don't really want to do it. So you're probably going to spend like 10 hours dreading the fact that you don't want to make these godforsaken brownies. And that is 10 hours of energy that is sucked up in your head. And that is like such a distinguishable thing because people will always feel like, oh, I'm just making such a big deal out of this tiny, stupid thing. But it isn't because you don't want to do it. You're, you're mad at yourself because you haven't established the boundary. So then you're going to suck up a whole day thinking about how you don't want to do this tiny little thing. So yeah. that's great that you're saying, okay, get the clock out of my house. Get the, I'm not making the brownies. These yeah. are micro steps. You know, I'm a big micro steps forward. That's one of my, one of my things. So yes. this is a micro step. Yeah. Getting the ugly fucking clock out of your house is a micro step. Yeah. 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 And then every time you look at that wall, you realize that you've said yes to what you want and no to what you didn't. And that is another key piece of boundaries is that every yes is also a no. And every no is also a yes. So when you say no to those brownies, you're saying yes to a half hour of self-care, the time to spend with your partner or your children, or to go for a walk with a friend. You know, every time you say no to something, what are you opening up the door to say yes to? And every time you say yes, every time you say yes to those brownies or, you know, whatever other things you commit to that you don't want, what are you saying no to that you would much rather be spending that time doing? So that's another way to really think about those boundaries. I love it. I love it. What about, let's, let's go back to distraction. And because I love, I love this idea. Cause I do, I have had, quite a few clients that are are fans of the Netflix binge and um, I get it. You know, I rewatch old episodes of Mad Men. I don't really binge them. I've limited myself when COVID started. I said, okay, I'll give you, you can have an hour, an hour to two hours of TV at night if you want. But I, that was like, that was all. And I, and I pretty much stuck to it. I mean, it's, it's usually about 
one episode of Mad Men every day, but I rewatch it because I like the show and it's predictable. And, you know, it's mm-hmm. people do that. Like they, they know what's going to happen. So it's soothing. Mm-hmm. It's soothing for it to be on, but I'm not, I, I'm not re- recharging. I, I could be, I could be meditating at that time. I could be journaling at that time. I could be doing something that isn't doing anything for me. Now, I have, I've had a lot of clients that have uh, quite a few they've said okay you know I'm gonna I I just watched this tv show all day and I'm thinking I've been there like in my in my days where I was drinking and where I wasn't really active and I really didn't put any work into myself at all there would be days where I would watch 10 episodes of Star Trek or something on tv and like you said I never felt better I never felt like anything. I never felt recharged. I just felt drained. I just felt tired. And I didn't know the science of it. And I, and I don't think I do now. So if, if you do, I'm sure you do, I want to explain a little bit about why that's not serving someone to do that. I think a lot of people that are listening would get a lot of value out of that. Yeah. So I'm not sure. See, I'm not sure I know the science behind it. But the reason why it's not recharging you is because you are, you're popping out, you're popping out of yourself, you're popping out of your world, you're popping out of your present when you do that. Um, Sometimes it can be helpful. And I will say, you know, when you say that, that you know what to expect from those TV shows, I'll sometimes do that. I'll sometimes watch a TV show that I know will help me get into the state of mind I want to be in. If Mm. I, you know, if I feel like I need a really good cry, but I just can't get there on a TV show, I know will help me cry. Yeah. I feel like I, you know, I'm having kind of like a sad day. For instance, it's been rainy and cloudy where I live for the last three or four days. And it's the kind of day where I would want to put on a sunny, bright television show to help me just sort of shift my mood. This is like, a half hour episode, an hour episode, maybe I'm not talking about a binge. So sometimes it can help you set that mood and that tone, but then the next step and the key is to take it from living somebody else's life in that place to living and processing in your own life. Mm. When you're doing that distraction, it's almost like you're hitting the pause button and you're, you're going to resume exactly where you started only several hours later. And if you haven't been doing anything to take care of yourself, you know, it's think about an hourglass that sand has been slowly draining out of you. You know, your day has been passing, your body has been using energy just to function, to, to breathe, to keep your heart beating, to keep, you know, your blood circulating. And so that energy has been slowly and slowly draining and you've been doing nothing to recharge and you have nothing to, to show for it. You have nothing accomplished at the end of it. Right. And that, and that's where distraction can frequently shift from just a activity to a, Oh, I cannot believe I just wasted an entire day. And then the guilt and the blame and the shame, and, mm-hmm. which turns into a spiral, which you want to get out of. So you go back to the distraction because it's not comfortable being in your experience. And I might as well eat a whole bag of chips while I'm at it, you know, <laughs> because why not? I mean, I wouldn't, why wouldn't I do that? Yeah. But, it, but I, I see that taking away from yourself is really important because I think a lot of people will get, conf- people get really confused 
And people get confused because they want black and white. And it's like, bitch, we got so many colors in this world. Like, this is not a black and white world. Like you were mentioning checklists earlier about about self-care and like, well, this is a checklist, but I don't know if they'll all work for you. And this is like, this is how it is. Like you and I are talking about when we watch TV shows and people will be like, I'm confused. What, what, what What are you supposed to do? It's all about where you are at. I mean, from what I'm hearing, and I think that you, as you're nodding, I think you would agree. What's in alignment with what you want? Is watching eight hours of TV in alignment with you? No, not really. I mean, we don't necessarily need to be people that are cranking out productivity all the time. I mean, that is like, that's that's the opposite of what we want. But at the same time, when we're doing actions, whether it be work or play or joy or or stillness, if it's in alignment with what you want as a person, then, then it's self-serving. Yeah. And I can't think of anything that anything I could watch on television for eight straight hours that is going to be in alignment with what I want to be doing that day. I mean, even if I have a day of crap, you know, even if I have a day that I don't really do much, that would be, that would take me out of being Andy. Yeah. And that's, yeah, there's, um, one of my favorite words is moderation. Mm. And if, you know, I think if you're, if you're listening to this and you're thinking, I don't understand, I'm not sure how to pick and choose here. Um, moderation is such a powerful tool for anything in your life. You know, it's what is a moderate amount of television watching? What is a moderate amount of ice cream? So for instance, ice cream, could be self-care for somebody. If they get two scoops of ice cream in a bowl and they sit down and they really like, they savor the creamy sweet taste as it melts in their mouth and slides down their throat. And you know, the taste of the, the whatever mix-ins or add-ins and it's just a really conscious, enjoyable experience. That could be self-care, but sitting down on the sofa with an entire pint of ice cream and a spoon and just going to town and not realizing you've eaten the entire thing until your spoon hits the bottom of the carton. Well, that's distraction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it, it's a fine line, but it is. Yes, uh, we were just, go ahead. I'm sorry. I, didn't I was just going to say, up. yeah. So the key to all of that is just moderation. What does moderate feel like to you? So self-care. I know that you are, you're going to be giving a workshop soon and talking about self-care. Um, and my, 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 I plan to have the podcast out before that. So I'm very excited for everyone that's listening. Uh, Andy's a little bit behind um, on where she wants to be, but um, you're going to be talking about self-care techniques in that workshop. Do you want to mention maybe just one or two, or did you want to mention like any self-care techniques for the listeners or would you like, what would you yeah. I would yes. love, I would love for you to talk a little bit about it. So people are really, really clear. Yeah. On- so the audible exhale is one of my favorites just because it's quick and it's easy and it's powerful. So that one is, is just, that is my go-to number one. You have no self-care in your life. Do the audible exhale several times a day. Boom. Um, another technique that I love and that is quick and you can do in under a minute, um, is I call it a mindful moment. Um, and so to do a mindful moment, you just pause what you're doing and you notice what's happening around you with all five senses. So what do you smell? What do you taste? 
what do you hear? What do you see? And what do you feel? And when you do, what do you feel? It's not just what do you feel with your hands, but what do you feel touching your skin? What do you feel inside your body? How does all of that, you know, how do you feel things? Um, and you do it with as much detail as possible. So if I was looking out the window, I might say that I see a maple tree, you know, dancing in the wind with leaves that are about to turn colors. They're just, you know, lightly golden. I hear the breeze. Um, I'm indoors, so I don't smell that, but um, I, you know, I smell the tea that I've been drinking. Um, I feel I have, um, Andy's seen this. I have a cat sitting in my lap. Um, I love the cat. The cat is great. The cat is just making appearances, yeah. going by. <laughs> yeah, it's great. She's going to go through this. Um, so, you know, get, you know, she's warm and heavy and soft. And so you kind of really go into all of the details of what you're seeing or feeling, mm-hmm. experiencing all five senses. Um, and then you just go back to your day. And what that does is it pulls you into the present moment. And, um, there's a Lao Tzu quote, um, which is, uh, anxiety lives in the future. Regret lives in the past. Peace lives in the present. I love so when you, and I think I've got that correct. Um, I've been reading a lot of the Tao lately. So like, I'm really, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited that popped up, but, um, so yeah, yeah but when, when you well, do those mindful moments, it's pulling you back into the present, back into the peace. And, and I, and I know just from science that I read and different things that I learned when I was, when I was learning about positive intelligence was that that actually takes place in a whole other part of your brain. So like these, mm-hmm. these, these exercises of that focused attention allows those patterns of when you're going to default to a high stress response, it allows you to pause just enough that maybe you can make a choice and that you're not constantly running away. And if you make a habit of doing that regularly, especially with focused attention, especially like the cat, I'm looking at the cat and I can see every hair and every color and the deepness of the cat's eyes. And when you think about like when you were a child, I remember looking at, I'm I'm looking around like as if I could grab something, but I, I would look at the fibers on clothing and I would look at like, you would think we would look at my shirt here. I'm wearing a, a regular nautical looking old shirt. Um, but if I would look at my shirt and you would just, a lot of people would just see a, a striped shirt. But if you look closely, there are a lot of interwoven fibers and that kind of curiosity. And I know people are going to be like, Andy, what the fuck? But this is real. The curiosity factor of of that focused attention trains your brain to behave differently. So if you can take those moments and do that for yourself, you're doing a hell of a lot more for yourself than just exhaling audibly. This this is actually rewiring you. Yeah. Yeah. And one of the ways that I love to get people to make it a habit is if you take a mindful moment, every time you take the first bite of your food or the first sip of your beverage. So if you did it every time, you know, if you did it for an entire meal, you would never finish. But, you know, before you take that first bite, really mindfully observe it. What, you know, the smells, the sight, the the taste, how does it feel as you chew it? You know, all of that same thing, your coffee in the morning and, or do it every time you cross a threshold. So every time you move from one room to a next, 
every time you move from outdoors to indoors, indoors to outdoors, take a mindful moment. Just what is, what is this, what is this room I'm entering? What is this space I'm entering? I'm mindfully observing. And it can be the whole room, the whole space. You can narrow in, like you were saying on the fibers of the shirt or looking at the cat, you know, whatever, however it works for your brain, however you enjoy the experience the most. Um, but create a little kind of a trigger so that every time you do X, you take a mindful moment. Right. Amazing. Do you want to tell everybody more about the workshop that you have coming up? Yeah, absolutely. So it is part of Global Entrepreneur Week, Kansas City, um, and it's going to be an online workshop. I'm going to do five essential and actionable self-care techniques. So each one you'll walk away with an action step. So you have the, you know, I, I love the concepts, but I think it's a lot easier when you have an action step that you can execute. Um, so, uh, that is, um, it's free. It's open to anyone. You don't have to be in the Kansas city area. Um, there's a ton of other great workshops if you're an entrepreneur, but this is going to be a fantastic workshop for anyone who wants a little more self-care. Um, and the link to register for that is bit.ly, um, forward slash, and this is case sensitive. So it's capital G E W K C 2021. And if you want to, you can just actually send me that and I'll make yeah. sure I put it in the yeah, description thanks. of the episode. Make it Perfect. easy for everybody. People like to click. Um, what else? Um, let's see. So that's coming up. And yeah, this has been really awesome, Kate. I would love it if you could tell everybody where they can find you, where they can get your self-care toolkit, all of that stuff. Yeah, absolutely. So you can find me on Instagram at Nourish Nest Breathe. Um, I have a YouTube channel, just nurse nest breathe you'll find me there um and i put out videos twice a week uh answering questions that people have about self-care and living life in balance and all those sorts of things um and then the self-care toolkit is free and you can get that at um www.nursenestbreathe.com slash self-care toolkit and I'll make sure you have that to put it into the show notes as well. Um, but that is, it's 27 pages and it talks about how to make self-care work for you in your schedule and how to make it fun. It's really awesome. Yeah, I have it. I looked at it. It's great. There's a lot of good stuff in there. Um, so it's really, it's valuable. So if you guys want to jump on there and grab that, that would be I, I think you get a lot of value out of it. I did. Um, Kate, thank you so much for being on the podcast. This was really awesome. And I hope that everybody checks out the, the, uh, the workshop because it's going to be great. And um, yeah, thank you so much for being here. This was really awesome and informative and I really enjoyed having you. Oh, thank you so much. This was fun. I really enjoyed it as well. And big thank you to Kate Hess for being here today on the Get the Fuck Off podcast. That was really awesome and informative, and I'm super excited that you were here, Kate. If anyone listening is interested in the Five Essential and Actionable Self-Care Techniques Workshop, that's coming up on November 9th at 10 a.m. Central. I'm going to put a link in the notes of this episode so you guys can register that way. And also, you can find Kate's self-care toolkit that I talked about, that we talked about in the episode at nourishnestbreathe.com slash self-care toolkit. I'm also going to put a link to that. So thank you, Kate. This was really, really great. As for everybody else, I will see you guys next week back here on the Get the Fuck Off podcast. Until then, you can find me on my website, getthefuckoff.com, for all old episodes. 
You reach out to me if something that you heard today struck and you want to talk about it. Andy, A-N-D-E-E, at getthefuckoff.com. I love email. Reach out. I'd love to hear from you guys. And I'll be back next week with another episode. Until then, y'all take care, be safe, and we will see you back here next time. Thank you.